ones that you see. If you say you love God who you haven't seen, but you can't love the person you do see, well, there's a problem, isn't there? So that's the whole point. Uh, we're planting seeds uh, as we have these conversations with these kids. And we're praying that once those seeds have been planted, that their hearts are transformed. And we know that that's going to be for eternity. So uh, the theme of uh, VBS this year is following Jesus changes the game. Following Jesus changes life. Obviously, the game is a metaphor, and that's what we're using as a theme. I thought this was really cool. Everybody liked that that Lorena made, that little, uh, I got to admit something. I never was good at games. Uh, even, uh, I don't, I look that old, but I remember when the first Atari game came out and Pong came out. Anybody know what Pong is? It's a little ball that goes back and forth across like a tennis, and you have this little thing at the bottom, and that's all it does, and the other person has it. And you just hit the ball back, and they hit the, the sides, and you hit it back. I wasn't even good at that. <laughs> I, could, I never bought an, a game, Atari. I did buy one for Sammy, Nintendo. But the game, it, right now, I can tell you as a high school teacher, and I work with uh, high school students, obviously. I can tell you that, uh, and not that it's uh, healthy in any way, but you talk to a kid about games, and their, their eyes will light up. And hopefully we can get them to control that and not be addicted like most of them are. So we want to tell people the story about Jesus. We want to um, not just tell them the story of Jesus. We want to show them his love. What a better way for a church. I, I love you guys. I think you guys are awesome as a church. I want you to get out there and once you get started and you're participating this week, I want you to see the love of Christ coming out of your lives. As a pastor, you know, I've gotten to the point and we've gotten to the point to where I really don't have an assignment. I'm a, I'm a substitute teacher for someone that doesn't come in. So for some reason someone couldn't come in to teach, I'll jump in there. For years I taught the high school and including my own son, which is one of the reasons why I taught it, right? And talking about investment, you know. But I get to just walk around and see what God's doing and, and allow the Lord to speak to my heart too. It's, one of the, it's like when we have our harvest festival. I get to watch and see what's going on, talking to people in the community and trying to get a measure, trying to get, you know, an idea of what it is that we can and how it is that we can uh, address their needs. And we have the right message. So one thing that I can do when I come up here, I can promise you that me and the Lord have already spent time together. I know I will not say the wrong thing. Uh, nothing heretical, at least. I may, be, uh, I may slant on some of those areas where there's question about what it means. I might slant a certain way because I have a whole life behind me of experience that leans, allows me to lean a certain way. I could be wrong. I'm not a, willing to stand up here and say that I know it all. But I want to know one thing for sure, that we have the right message. We have the message that, that the world needs to hear. So, one of the things I wanted to do is to remind us that it's great to talk about Jesus. It's a whole other thing to show the love of Jesus. I got a little statistic from Lifeway. They predict uh, over the years, and this is from last year, 2.5 million kids were at VBS. That's a lot of kids. 
70,000. Yeah, these are just statistics. The kids could have said, oh yeah, I received the Lord. It doesn't matter if they didn't. The Lord knows. 70,135 made decisions for salvation. And here's what I really love. 1,383 responded that God's called them into some kind of ministry or mission. That's crazy. Isn't that amazing? 1,300 kids said, hey, I feel God's calling me. There are very few people. It's a very special calling to ministry. A lot of people are running from it. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that God's calling them. Because when you accept that calling, uh, your life will be radically changed forever. You become a big target for the enemy. But it also requires you to prepare. And it also obligates you to be uh, making a commitment to Christ. And it's a lifetime commitment. So I, I like that part. And I know that in this church, those young men and women that we have in this church, like, like uh, you know, Samuel, Michael, and Johnny, and the rest of them here, you know, we know... And I believe that one of them or some of them are going to find ministry as their life's passion, what God has called them to. And the thing I like is I see Sam all excited because he came here this big. He loves it. They love it. They had a great time. So a couple other things. Um, there's Bible study time. There, in, within the Bible study time, obviously, there's a sharing of the gospel. And then at some level, uh, there's discipling being done. And there's a lot of good amount of food and beverages. We got some good food over here, I'm telling you. And so, it's valuable. It's valuable. And plus, you know what? Another thing these kids are doing this summer, every year when I go back to school, I ask them, what did you guys do this summer? Nothing. Nothing? Man, you should have come to VBS. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about Jesus. And I kind of want to just spend a little bit of time reminding us why we're doing this. Is that okay with you guys? Why are we doing this? Well, let's look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. If you don't mind, you have a it on the screen. Not a lot of verses here. This particular sermon, I've kind of given it a title. If you look up there, uh, it's the most important question ever asked. The most important question ever asked. So if you don't mind standing with me, we're going to look at a few verses here. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures, I'll share with you in a minute why. And um, let's read it. I think they're going to put it up. Next slide. There we go. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, this is in northern Israel, he asked, let me say that again, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, of course, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood, I could easily put in there man, man has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, bless our time and our message today. Help, help us to see, Lord, the, the amazing opportunity and, uh, and honor we have to serve you and why. We just thank you and ask your blessing, Lord. May it be the Holy Spirit who's speaking to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus asked. Go ahead, go ahead and have a seat. How many of you have experienced Jesus asking you questions in your spiritual journey? Amen? Anybody else got an amen? How many of you have heard Jesus ask you questions in your spiritual journey? He asks me questions every day. Every day the Lord is asking me questions. And he, uh, at this point, uh, asked the, uh, his disciples, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? An important question is... Uh, for his disciples, uh, he had been with them for more than two years. He had been teaching them and reteaching them. He had been trying to establish them in the truth, and and then he would have to reestablish them in the truth over and over again. And so, you know, as a disciple of Jesus, I can tell you this much: I, I, I know a little bit, um, only mo mostly from experience, is that you can expect Jesus to ask you specific questions. And you should have the answers because he's your teacher. And he's the greatest of all teachers. Rabbi. Every time they said Rabbi is a title for teacher. I'm a teacher. I teach. And I sure hope you're learning. But oh my, if the one who is the Rabbi, the greatest of all teachers is teaching you, you better be learning. Because it's your demise if you're not. Sooner or later, you will be negatively impacted if you're ignoring what he has to say. So I, I suppose to think that in the public schools, what I'm teaching the kids is going to have an impact on their lives as citizens in some future and their, their contribution to society and uh, you know, they'll be able to have a job and so on and so forth. But when we teach here, when you teach your families at home and your children and anyone you're able to have the opportunity to share the gospel with, you're actually teaching them and preparing them for eternity. And that's forever. Amen? Remember the movie? Forever. That little baseball movie, I forget the name of it. Anybody remember it? Sandlot, the Sandlot. <laughs> the kids are going forever. It's forever. That's how long eternity is. So uh, in this particular passage, we have Jesus. He, he's uh, already made his effort to, uh, and he's already invested in his disciples for a couple of years. And now it's the final exam. Because this is the greatest question ever asked. Final exam here. It's important because it has, again, 
eternal consequences. The door of eternity swings on the answer. Amen? The door into eternity depends on the answer. So Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a title given in the Old Testament for the Messiah. It's a reference to Christ, the Messiah, the, the one who would come. So Jesus here, notice, 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 this is important, that he's not asking their opinion yet. He's asking, what are others saying? What is the general uh, opinion about me out there on the streets? Right? And I've noticed that when I ask this question, that everyone has an opinion. Because opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Right? I never, ever have asked anyone the question of who, who Jesus is. And I've never heard someone say, I don't know. Especially here in America. Everybody has something to say. Everybody has a viewpoint, right? So what I have discovered, though, when you're talking to people out there, and they're not necessarily Christians, but supposedly, well, I know it's a post-modern world we're living in, not a Christian nation really anymore, right? But when you ask people about Jesus, what did I discover is that most of them believe, well, this is my truth about Jesus, what's your truth? So, keep this in mind. Jesus is a pragmatic individual to them. He only functions in a truth, the realm of truth that's convenient to them. Right? The man that says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to enter into heaven? The young rich ruler that came. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So Jesus is already educating that man. And, hey, if you're going to address me with the title of good, you better go all the way and just recognize me as God. Because only God is good. See, some people want to say, oh, what Jesus was saying is, I'm not good. Why are you calling me good? No, he was saying, hey, if you're going to go that way with me, then go all the way. But there's too many people who don't want to recognize Jesus only, they, as a d God. They just want to see him as a good and wise philosopher or something. Good, he's a good teacher. Well, some of the things that he said disqualify him from being a good teacher. Because they were crazy. He said to the Pharisees when they were discussing about how they were the children of Abraham in one place. He said, oh, before Abraham, I am. <laughs> you're not even 40 years old and that happened thousands of years ago you're loony he's claiming to have existed before Abraham when they were talking about their father Jesus was telling them that their father was Satan devil and then he says something interesting I saw him like lightning cast out of heaven what? You saw him thrown out of heaven like lightning? I think this guy's been drinking too much Kool-Aid. What's he saying when he says, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven? He's saying he did it. He threw him out in the rebellion. He's claiming to be God. You cannot be a good teacher as a man 
and claim to be God. Because if I told you right now, I want all of you to get over here and worship me. Get down on your knees over here and cry out to Alibaba. My name is Bob, but you can say Alibaba. Alibaba, Alibaba. Oh, Babo works. Dear Babo, oh Babo, what would you do? You'd come up here, you'd get uh, George and, and, and Eric back there, and you'd grab Jesus, and hey, let's go grab him. I think he's like, lost it. Pastor's taking drugs now. He's claiming to be God. So Jesus never claimed just to be a good and wise teacher. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the son of the living God. And he would accept that statement later from Peter. But first he wants to know, hey, by the way, what's everyone else saying about me? There are a variety of answers that they were given. And none of them were, uh, two of them agreed when you went out into the community, into the temple. Uh, uh, none of them would agree entirely on who Jesus was, right? So here's what I'm going to say first. When it comes to asking the general public about who do men say that I am, I think what we find is that people will say, well, Jesus is actually uh, whoever or whatever you believe him to be, and here's the kicker, for you. Jesus is whoever or whatever you want him to be for you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We can't make him be what, he want, what we want him to be for us. For instance, I cannot make Jesus, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, my cosmic butler. Please serve me, Lord. I, I, could you bring me my, my dinner quickly? I can't make him something he's not. He is who he is. So it doesn't really matter what would people would say. It doesn't mean that uh, he has to be the same for all of us. That's a lie. He's the same for all of us or he's nothing to all of us. He is the Lord and he is Savior. He is King of Kings, creator of the universe. And that's no small statement that requires our adoration that requires our submission amen that requires that we serve him and that we would be interested in what he has to say to us and that we would care about what he did for us and that's true as it was then today so they come to this place in verse 14 where uh, the, the disciples had an answer uh, essentially uh, of what people said. Who do men say that I am? Who are others saying? And they were saying, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. Okay, so now essentially uh, Jesus is saying, hey, what's the word on the street? Um, you know, the, the disciples moved in the crowds. They went to the market. They went to the temple. Uh, Jesus also did. Uh, and then there were in, individuals in those marketplaces uh, out there in the world uh, that would say different things about Jesus. And then someti sometimes people would like gather the different things. Oh, what do you think? Oh, don't you ever have like something you want to know about? Or you're not too sure about? And you go to this friend and that girlfriend and this guy and that neighbor and your mom and your dad. And you get all of their opinion. And then what you usually create is a hodgepodge, an eclectic idea of something. 
You just get every, you know, go to Google, and you say, what does Google have to say? And then you get that, you see the general idea. Okay, that's what I believe. That's usually what happens, you know? Everybody has some kind of conclusion about Jesus, and it's generally a, a, con a consensus, if you would. So I could do a survey of uh, Group A over there and ask you who, do you, who do people say that Jesus is? So when you're out on the streets and you begin to try to talk about Jesus, you tell me what they say. And if I go to this middle crowd right here in the middle, uh, column B here, and ask you, hey, what, are people, what are people saying about Jesus? And you'll all tell me something. Each one of you may be something different or unique. And I come over here. And we can grab all of it together. And it'd be really interesting what they have to say about Jesus. But it doesn't matter because it only matters what Jesus says about himself. That's <laughs> why so I stick to the Bible so hard. So one thing that I did when I did accept the calling of God into my life, I said, Lord, I'm going to stick to your word no matter what. And I've tried. And I know I failed on many occasions, but I, God knows my heart. And I've studied and I've read and I've talked to others and I've done everything in my power to know everything I can about a certain thing and, that's that, and a certain topic and Jesus himself. I have, I've had great pastors as my pastor. What is, what is the community? What are people saying? Jesus, who, he is, who is he? What are they saying? Right? Some, they, it's interesting they brought up John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah. If I could get into each one of these in depth, there's actually reasons why that particular answer makes sense to them, but I'm going to talk about one. So um, there's many interesting stories and legends that come from ancient Israel. For instance, Jeremiah, there's a very fascinating one here, and that is that uh, Jeremiah, they believed, prior to the captivity in Babylon, that's 586 B.C., that he took the daughters of he Hezekiah, which is the king. There were no longer any sons. They killed him. So where does the throne go to next? Well, like in, like in British Empire, it, it, can't, it didn't pass to a man. It went to Queen Elizabeth because there was no man. So it went to the daughters of Zedekiah. That would be the rule. And so prior to the captivity, it's said in legends and stories that uh, Jeremiah, he took the daughters of Hezekiah, he took the Ark of the Covenant, uh, he took the altar of incense out of the temple into, in order that the Gentiles wouldn't take it and desecrate it, and he hid it in Mount Nebo. This is a legend. It's known to the Jews. This is what they say. That's why they brought up Jeremiah's name. So what are people saying? Well, they believe that Jesus is Jeremiah, like resurrected, if you would. It's a superstition. And the Jews held on to this. And they believed that Messiah would establish his kingdom and Jeremiah would return the Ark of the Covenant and he would go bring back the altar of incense and restore him to the rebuilt temple in the future. Is there anything in the Bible that says that Jeremiah is going to do that? No. But that's what we believe. Did George Washington really chop down a cherry tree? That's what we're told. All right. Did Joe DiMaggio really date Marilyn Monroe? Or are we just being told? All right. What about John F. Kennedy? You see how stuff can just get around? 
That's why Jeremiah's name. So let's not get into why John the Baptist and or any reference to Elijah. They have their reasons for that. This is the stuff of Indiana Jones. By the way, the new movie's out. Man, I took a good nap in that movie. It's long. I was like, I think the guy in front of me was like going, stop snoring. So the question is, what are people saying today? That's what I'm asking you. What are they saying to you? Are you talking to people about the, about the Lord? And what I would say to you is probably the general idea from everyone is that he was an invention. He was created so that people uh, would believe a falsehood. The disciples were trying to save face back in when Jesus was crucified. They felt embarrassed and ashamed that they had spent so much time invested in him three years and now he's gone and forever lost all that he promised. So they were saving face and they made up the story and it's not it's not uh, anything close to the truth, but all of them were willing to die for this made-up story, which it tells me that the evidence be, would be the contrary, that he actually saw him and witnessed him alive after resurrection. And it drove each and every one of them to their martyrdom, except for John, who they tried to martyr John, the, the beloved uh, apostle, the one who wrote the book of John and the book of Revelation. He, he was boiled in a, in a big pot, a big cauldron, and he survived. And then he went to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the uh, book of Revelation and then he died of old age he's known as the last apostle and guess what so all of them were willing to die for a lie I'm just trying to say and give you an idea to think what are people saying they may say whatever they want but they saw him and I witnessed what he did so people will form opinions about what they think and one of them is that he simply wasn't an invention Here's the problem I have with supposed experts of the Bible. Most people who claim to have Bible opinions or who have them probably haven't spent five hours studying the Bible. That's my opinion. They haven't spent not even five hours. And in fact, they don't know where what they believe came from and why they believe the way they do. They really don't. If you push them, You'll find that out. That's, that's what I've come to, to see. People uh, don't know where they got what they believe and why they believe it. They do, though. And they're willing to hang their lives on something so fragile and delicate when you have the solid Word of God to stand on. So let's, let's, let's conclude this first part where they ask, what do people say about Jesus? Peter's really clear that this is not an invention, that these are not uh, uh, fables, uh, but they're facts. They're material facts. When I say material facts, I'm speaking legalese like a lawyer would have to have a physical evidence to be able to present it in court. They had physical evidence. Second Peter 1.16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw the resurrected Christ. They saw Jesus come out of that grave. And they were eyewitnesses. These are not myths. 
Jesus is not an invention. He's not the resurrected Jeremiah, or he's not the second coming of Elijah. He's not John the Baptist who was beheaded. They actually believed that Herod was spreading the rumor that he had raised from the dead after he had cut his head off and put it on a silver platter for his girlfriend. No. Jesus is who he says he is. And he demonstrated not just in words, but in resurrection power. He's alive and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So this is a very good question, but then Jesus, as a good teacher would do, he moves his disciples and he directs them to a dialogue, which is a two-way conversation. You guys remember what those were? Can we have a two-way conversation? We need to learn how to have a two-way conversation with people about Jesus because a lot of the times what I see Christians doing is having a one-way conversation. They're not willing to be yielding or flexible or patient or loving. They just want to be right. And we're turning people off. I like uh, Sister Ruthie, uh, one of our sisters, used to say, Jesus loves you and so do I. I loved her for that. She used to say it all the time. And I talk about disarming someone. Jesus loves you. You're not ready to fight somebody. He does. And then she says, and so do I. <laughs> so, this is, the, this is the, 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 the main point of the, of the message today. Verse 15. Okay, so we know what everyone else thinks. I know you're out there talking to people. I know you're out there living your Christianity but what do you say? Or who do you say that I am? Notice that this is a really good question. And it's a very important question. It's a question that lies at the very heart of Christianity. Amen? It's the most important question ever asked to anyone. Who do you say Jesus is? Personally, to you. I want to hear from you. Who do you say that Jesus is? You know, the gospel always brings us one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. The gospel always takes us to a place where we have to say yes or no. You see, and I've always said this, and I learned it from my pastor, so I'm repeating it. See how that works? No answer is an answer. It's no. No answer is an answer. No participation is no participation. No gospel sharing is no gospel sharing. Doing nothing is doing nothing. Saying nothing only delays the inevitable. Today is the day of salvation. It's so important in my prayer as a pastor and as a teacher that I bring it to you to a place as much as I will dig and try and share all these ideas with you that you 
come to a place where it's no longer you and the pastor, it's you and the Lord, and it's personal. This is personal. He says to his disciples, who do you, not what others are saying, what do you, who do you say that I am? Right? See, what I love about this is that he addresses us as an individual. Jesus brings dignity to our lives. Because Jesus is asking the question about who do we say that he is. Because what we will say cannot be answered but on your own. No matter how many hours I study. No matter how many hours I dig and try to find another way to tell you this. So that it can sink into your heart. Unless the Holy Spirit is the one moving, what I'm doing is worthless. He has to tell you. He has to reveal it to you. But man, I'm going to do everything I can to be part of that equation that brings you to a greater knowledge of Christ. Who do you say that I am? He's asking the question and wanting you to answer as if though you were the only person in this room. It's amazing. And the question, if answered correctly, determines your eternity or your eternal destiny. So, you can think you're avoiding an answer, but you can't. The question pins you up against the wall of eternity and it forces you to answer. Guess what? You will answer. If you don't answer by your free will, go ahead and say no. I mean, if it's no to Jesus, because he, what didn't he say in the book of Revelation? Uh, I'd rather that you be cold or hot, but not warm, because if you're warm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Go, it's okay to say no. Rebels usually will come first instead of lukewarm Christian, or people. People that, that, don't, that live in both worlds. You know, they're a little bit rock and roll and they're a little bit country. They, oh my God, what a terrible combination. <laughs> you know? They're a little bit oom-pa-pa and a little bit of... They can't decide what they want to be. Jesus says uh, through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, that... Everyone will have to answer that question because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to answer. It's better to answer now. And Jesus waits in this one question final exam. And he says, who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter was always a representative for the rest of the disciples. They were thinking the same thing. And so what we see here then is that it, he makes it very personal. And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That statement is huge because the Christ meant you're the Messiah. 
You know what that means? That means that you're the anointed one. You're the chosen one of God. You're the promised one. You're the one that we've been looking for. But what the word Christ means actually is you're the deliverer. You're the one that has come to liberate us from our sins. The Savior. He identifies him also as the son of the living God. And that is a term that is borrowed from the Old Testament. Peter, being a Jew, understood the Old Testament. He was raised by his parents, Jewish parents. And that is always said in the Old Testament in contrast to the dead and dumb or deaf idols. There's idol worship, but they're dead. There's idols, but they don't listen. They can't respond to us. The thing about idol worship is you attribute to the idol the answer back to yourself. They don't talk. I love my Thai food, but the little Buddha is not going to eat the papaya that they left there. Right, George? I know you want to laugh. Why do they do it? Because you, you yourself attribute the answer back to yourself. You become God. You make yourself and you worship yourself because you put yourself in the place of God. That's what idol worship is. And Peter is saying, no, no, no. You're not like those dead idols. You're the son of the living God. And if you know your Bible at all, we all know about Peter. He's the first one to open mouth, insert foot. He was always that guy like in class that would say, I know, I know how to do that. I have the answer for that. And he speaks it out. But then the Lord says to him, wow, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What does that mean? You haven't learned this on your own. No man has taught you this, but my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that awesome? How did he know? Because he had walked with Jesus for over two years. He had encounters with Jesus. He had seen him heal. He had seen him cast out demons. He had heard him teach. Right? And what had happened then is that all of that material... By the way, we're going to be presenting material this week to kids about Jesus. Because all I'm doing here is saying, we're doing the same thing. We're teaching, we're preparing these kids with the gospel, with the good news. And what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. We're going to wrap it up here right now. You know, Peter, when he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. He says, you know, Peter, you didn't come up with this statement. Peter, because you're not smart enough. You're not smart enough, Sammy. You're not smart enough to come up with the answer. Not smart enough, Tanya. George, Ade, you're not smart enough to. You're not smart enough. This is not about logical reasoning or rational thinking. 
You have come up with this declaration because God the Father has revealed it to you. And that's my prayer for this week. That whatever we share with these kids, whatever you share with these kids, that God the Father would spark, put a spark of faith in their hearts where they could say yes or for at least be able to keep the seed in their heart if they want to ponder the question more and not just throw it out. Man, we got a lot of opportunities. It's the Spirit of God that was taking the word of Jesus into the heart of Peter and performing a, some miracle in his heart to transform his heart that allows him to be able to declare that he's the Messiah. So what we need to do is present the scriptures and pray that there's a seeking heart there that God has already uh, prepared ahead of time. There's a concept in the world of theology that's called prevenient grace. I look at all of the different, I've read, I've read all the different positions on a lot of different things, but I come up with my own conclusions. Jesus says, no man comes to me. How many people are no, are no man? No man. How many people can come to him? None. No one. Except my father, draw him. Except my father, bring him. Do you know that Jesus is working in the hearts of people today that don't even know him? Do you know that he did that with you? He spoke to you and worked in your heart before you even know he was? And that's why you're here and if you know him as your Lord and Savior, it's because he did the work. You can't resist it. So, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Hopefully we can bring these kids and hopefully their parents, if we get an opportunity to talk to them, to be able to say and come to the conclusion, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? That's why we're doing this. If we're not doing this, and if we're not planning future opportunities to do something somehow, some way, we're not doing what we've been called to do. We're not understanding the great miracle that our own salvation, that our own conversion signifies. Great is our salvation. The Hebrew writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You can't. You won't escape. If you think you can escape in any other way except his way. Jesus is who I think he is. The son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, all that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts, in our minds. And our prayer, Lord, is that it's all moving us in one direction. And that is to eternity, 
that while we journey toward that destination, help us to bring as many as we can with us in sharing the good news and sharing about your love, mercy, and grace, and also in sharing in, uh, your warnings of judgment to come. Yeah, and also the promises that, that are ours. We just thank you, Lord. We want to be balanced. And we want to be uh, submitted and willing instruments in your hands so that you could use us uh, to reach others that have yet to come to you. Thank you for Cross Point Community Church. Thank you for those that are here. We just pray, Lord God, in all that we do, not just VBS now and tomorrow and this week, but in everything we do that is uh, inspired and motivated by our love for you. And all that we do, do it as unto you. We do it for you. And we thank you. And we ask your blessing and your protection and your provision and your joy and your peace and wisdom this week. To, to make a difference, Lord, in our community here in this corner. Thank you. And we ask you your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're going to have our offering right now. If someone wants to come up here and give us a hand on that. We'll pray over it. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, George. So uh, to kind of tie into the sermon, uh, giving is also a form of worship. We don't just say we love him. We prove it in that we trust him for what he's given us and we support uh, this ministry, this storehouse, if you will. It's like a, basically a gas station. You come here to fill up. So that you can go out and do what you got to do for the Lord. Amen. So let's pray for the offering. Thank you, Father, once again, for all that you've given us. We know that every good gift comes from above. Nothing that we have, we gave to ourselves. The very simple thing is, as taking in a breath is a gift from you. So everything, Lord, we thank you for. And we ask you to bless whatever we can give out of a cheerful heart and that it be used for your honor and glory. Uh, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>